Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer and producer Ryan J. Brown. He is the series creator behind the new queer slasher series, Wreck, which is currently streaming exclusively on Hulu. Welcome to the show. <laughs> having me on thanks for joining us we're uh I, as we said a little bit before we started recording i'm a huge fan of your show and um i'm not 100 percent through with it so uh can you tell us a little bit about it but don't give me any spoilers about what's to come <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll try i'll try right. um yeah so wreck like you say is a big fun queer crazy slasher series um set aboard a cruise liner um, the show follows a character called Jamie Walsh, who his sister was working on the cruise ship um, and went missing, as happens constantly in real life on these cruise ships. Terrifying, um, uncharted territory. 
And so he goes on on the ship. He assumes somebody's identity, goes on the ship to find out what happened to his sister. That's kind of the, the setup. Um, it's really hard not to spoil anything. But as he as he um, as soon as he arrives, really, we realize, OK, this is a deeper conspiracy than what what he maybe first thought. And uh, lots of suspects and uh, danger around every corner. Yeah. Really sad. He's selling it. Um, <laughs> yeah, including yeah. A, a person or persons, maybe in a giant duck mascot yeah. uniform. Who's my favorite? Yeah. The duck. The duck haunts me. My every every waking minute. Um, the duck was always supposed to sort of be a big thing in the opening, and really, I guess you're if you're like four episodes in, he's not, he doesn't really pop up that much. No, he but, hasn't. But yeah, he kind of people people love the duck. He's just um, the breakout. <laughs> He's the breakout star of the show. I, it's iconic. It's an iconic design because it, it it feels a little camp. It feels, um, I don't know. It feels like this wildly out of place slasher idea, and I just I I love that. Uh, and I'm, I'm but I'm curious though because uh, I've never really I've never been on a cruise and I've never really thought about it. But Neither it is kind I. of not, yeah. I was. It's kind of dangerous out there. Have you have you ever worked on a cruise or how did how did this idea of a cruise ship? come to be because so, there's a lot of information it interspersed I'm complete, throughout i'm a complete fraud i've never been on a cruise yet. <laughs> i've been on like smaller no i haven't like a ferry doesn't count but i've never been on a cruise ship um but know a lot of people that have worked on them and when we were making the show we spoke to a lot of people from all different these all of the cruise ships they have these weird hierarchies they're kind of like high school ecosystems um which was just so fascinating to delve into. There is a kind of Lord of the Flies thing on there where everyone sticks together in their little groups and it's kind of a microcosm of the world, but all condensed into this horrible, garish, fantastically camp um, location. But yeah, cruise ships are fucking awful. And it's something that I thought maybe there would be more pickup about with the show that people maybe, I was hoping there'd be more of a conversation about that. Um, but unfortunately, the duck may have... <laughs> may have uh shit all over my social commentary i don't know he um he yeah he really exemplifies i think the cruise industry he's this shiny mascot which we all know a few companies that have those figures yeah because of one um and actually beneath the beneath the mask there's something twisted and, and, and horrible going on and i do think that is very much um the cruise industry, for me personally, I have to be so careful what I say, but because um, they love to sue as well, it's like their favorite thing. Oh, really? Mm, yeah, there was a piece once in what was it like New York Times? Maybe it said basically if Donald Trump, but maybe he said this. I imagine he probably did. If he didn't, if he wasn't in the line of business he was in, he would have started a cruise cruise line company a long time ago, which makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. It kind of is him personified. Yeah, and. Yeah, so again, I'm not trying to spoil the show, but as as Jamie Jamie's search for his sister kind of intensifies and he falls down this rabbit hole, we um we kind of really examine I'm trying not to spoil it. Uh the <laughs> that, that strange world of cruising. Yeah, so one of the things that I, I really I've really enjoyed so far um is basically Karen, the character of Karen right. as yeah. like this uh Can I just say I called her Karen kind of like because the script that I first started writing it maybe 5 years ago. Like Karen's were kind of becoming a thing. It was kind of becoming the thing that it is now, but it wasn't. 
Mm. And everyone's like, oh, you've got a carrot. I mean, I mean, that's such a like joke three years ago, but whatever. And I'm like, the script's been around a while. The same with, oh no, <laughs> the same with there are some comparisons to Squid Game often. And I'm like, I wrote this a long time before Squid Game, but people don't care, do they? No, they don't. Well, and no. I was thinking about that too, because uh, this came out, I mean, it came out in the UK last year and we're of course getting it right now. But when it came out in the UK, and I was so I was watching it. I had also seen um, Triangle of Sadness, and I was like, it, they're both exploring kind of this sort of tribalism on board and the the different hierarchies and and making sharp critiques about it. Because you you mentioned that the duck might have kind of shat all over the kind of social <laughs> critique that's laid in here, but I I see it and I I appreciate it honestly. I think that's what makes it more interesting than just a, a regular slasher type of situation. Thank you. I'm glad because we were always aware, you know, this is a show primarily targeted at a teen audience and you have to toe the line and you can't be kind of too I don't know preachy is the wrong word but um it's sort of everything that's in there is very much true like the fact that there are most cruise ships nearly all of them they have a mortuary on board that's true if they start giving out free ice cream someone's dead they run out of space potentially in the mortuary that's a real thing the mafias on board real thing um ethnic groups tend to stick together Usually the Filipino mafia are kind of the most powerful on board and you don't kind of fuck with those guys. That's all true. And it kind of is tip of the iceberg. I could have put so much more in there, but um, yeah, I suppose it would have become more of a documentary. Um, but, we yeah. need more horror on cruise ships, I think. I think that is a very underutilized horror setting. I mean, we yeah. had Ghost Ship, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's after, mostly after the fact. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we have enough cruise ship horror. We have like Jason Takes New York, but it's about like <laughs> you kind of just want them to get off that fucking boat and get you do <laughs> and he just doesn't until the very last like third act almost it feels uh, like awful that was the yeah it was definitely a reference for us and we were like we don't want people to be begging for us to get off the boat we need to make the boat um yeah those mega cruise liners they are like cities as well yeah surprisingly we weren't allowed to film on a real cruise ship um we got very close super close and then someone thought maybe they should read the script. <laughs> and they were like, oh, I don't know, this is the greatest PR for us. Um, so we built pretty much everything. Oh, did so this uh, were all it was all sets? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. There were Any there's a scene in the opening, you know, when she's kind of at the side of the ship, and then there are a few other moments where they're kind of convalescing at the side of the ship. Um, that is a boat in a museum in Belfast. Oh wow. And when they told me what the boat was, I was like, that's probably the worst omen I've ever known for anything. It's the boat that took the passengers out to the Titanic. Oh, shit. I was like, that that boat's well for our show. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently, like, they didn't just kind of, you know, I was picturing the James Cameron film where they all just walk aboard. Right. (laughs) No, smaller boat had to take them out to the big, big, the big one. So, yeah, that was the boat we used. So that is really, that was crazy. Walking around that boat, kind of, you could feel there was something there. There was a there was a vibe mm. that was deeply on Well, and I also love how queer the show is and how yeah. it is very much about found family, too. Like, it's obviously the slasher aspect, but I think something that I really loved was this queer found family aspect of queer people finding each other and finding, like, love and support when, you know their families maybe are not the most supportive and finding an environment that wall is terrifying that they can still be themselves like more uniquely themselves and i also really love 
that because we don't we're seeing more of it obviously but mm-hmm. it's nice to see it again in like a slasher like you said maybe more aimed for younger audiences but like a horror show like this and having that be such a big part of the show is really important and I really appreciated that thank you it was really important to me like from from the off I remember there were questions asked there were questions asked you know like oh we love we love that there's a gay gay lead and but but two gay leads um you know, a gay and a lesbian How together. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> um, oh, and we have a we have an actress playing a trans character, but we don't talk about the fact she's trans. Why? I'm like, but I think everyone realized that actually, you know, they build these things up in their heads, and it, why not? Why not? And there's a lot of reasons why. Um, yeah. And yeah, I love Vivian and Jamie's friendship. That's been it's something so that, good. Like, it's really like refreshing isn't yeah, it to see, it really is i suppose take sexuality out of it having a female male friendship like that kind of on screen is, is rare mm-hmm. uh, and especially yeah. platonic like a platonic friendship like not something yeah. that's like a will they won't they type of thing but just <laughs> like two friends that have found each other and are deciding to help each other out on this on this adventure i just i i love that and i love this sort of um by episode four this kind of family that is developing around these these characters because that's as far as i'm in right now um with like uh cormac the person that that jamie is you know taking his identity for which by the way the fact that he is just strutting around basically in his underwear for a lot of the first episodes i was like that would as as a person on it in such a small ship that would have made me so uncomfortable as a gay man to be perfectly honest you know i have to admit i made sure that that was in the script i'm shameless but i thought unless that's in the script it might not happen so yeah, I, that was a deliberate thing. I was like, know thy audience, you know? Yeah, yeah. Give, um, give me that that tall drink of water. That 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 gang. I was very keen for like by the end of series one for there to have been that kind of uh, Scooby gang formed, and for us to then go to other places with them, like in series two, which we're working on now. Um, and I I love things like that. I love when you have you have those close knit groups. So yeah, it was really um really nice. And there there aren't many scenes where they're all together on the screen kind of plotting and scoobying. But um when they are, those are some of my favorite scenes. And I'm so glad that now in series two, there's so much more of that. Um okay. and the friendships are tested. And um yeah, Jamie and Vivian's friendship is actually really tested in series two. So Oh wow, okay. How far along are you in, in prepping for se- for series two? So I'm writing the final episode now. Oh, oh no. Wow. Yeah. We start filming in a month and a half, two months, I think. Oh, dang. That's so exciting. Really exciting. It happened really quick. We were, it was amazing. We were kind of recommissioned for a second series before the first series aired, which kind of never happens. Not That's amazing. Movie, so, yeah. It was like, wow, such confidence in the show. And that kind of show doesn't happen very often. Like, it doesn't happen very often in the UK. Anyway, horror, um, they're very weird about it. And the response is very interesting. In, the, in America, I think overall that like, the response has been very overwhelmingly positive and it's been really nice. Whereas in the UK, it was a little more mixed and a little bit more, I don't know what it is. People have a rod up their ass about horror. Hmm. It's so weird really? because here in the in the States, like horror television is so hugely popular, it seems like. This is what I keep saying here. I'm like, it's the biggest, biggest genre on TV. In, in it really TV. is. And if you look at the box office as well, it's like the thing that's bringing people into cinemas. And... Scream Six just now, like I was yelling at my radio the other day because someone was like, "Are oh, movie theaters dead?" And I was like, "Look at the box office for Scream!" <laughs> like anyone could hear me. <laughs> it's true though; it's really true. 
I think there's maybe in the UK a very particular idea of horror. Maybe I don't know. I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's just a TV thing. There's a whereas in the US, maybe there's uh, people are just more open minded and all facets and all types of horror is appreciated potentially. Maybe I mm. honestly don't know. Yeah, America's open-minded about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ways to kill people, um, potentially. Well, I'm curious about, like, have you been a slasher fan for, I mean, I'm assuming maybe, but, like, what's your relationship to the slasher genre, slash to horror genre in general? Yeah, I've always been a huge fan from a very young age. Um, and it's kind of been an obsession of mine in the UK to get a show away that was slasher- uh, with Wreck, I would say, you know, it's a funny one. It's series two for sure is a full-blown slasher. Okay. I've never killed so many people in so many different ways. And it's like, it's really intense. I sort of knew with series one, because slashers aren't a big thing in the UK, I had to kind of like, um, try not to spoil the show for you again. Kind of um, appreciate it. Kind of like lure people into a false sense of security mm-hmm. in the UK, at least, before it goes full-blown slasher. So kind of... I would say series one is more murder mystery with with slasher elements, maybe? I don't know. Um, in general, I'm just a huge horror fan, and so series one is an amalgamation of all kinds of horror that I love in there. Slasher probably is is what's leading, but um, yeah, always been a huge slasher fan. And our director, Chris Ball. Oh, yeah. I was really happy to see him involved because um, I had seen his, uh, his, his film that also stars... Uh, yeah. Rowan, yeah, Jack Rowan. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, ooh, he's directing it. And I think he directs every episode, right? Yes, he did, which again doesn't happen very often in the UK, but we were kind of aware that like we want this to, we're going as big as we can and we want this to feel really kind of authored. And yeah, so we managed to, I mean, he nearly died making it. The schedule was insane. I, I can imagine. It really, um, yeah, and what was nice was Chris. We we filmed in Belfast, and Chris kind of has this crew that go with him everywhere. And okay, he, he most of the, a lot of the crew I think had worked on his his feature, um, Boys from County Hell as well. So they and they're all genre fans, and they all kind of understood the assignment straight away. Hell yeah! Which hell yeah, that's helps. awesome. Yeah, and we've got everyone again. Everyone the, the team's back together for series two, which is exciting. Oh, good. Is so oh, is cool. he's back as the director? Yeah, Chris is directing the first block, so the first three episodes. And he was like, I don't think I can direct the whole thing again without kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, collapsing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we have another director directing the second block. Okay. Which is it, that's all just sort of being finalized. Um, but yeah, another really, really cool director. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying not to talk about series two too much. I'm going to spoil everything. Like... I know. I'm sorry. I wanted to like, I was hoping to get more done with, with what we're doing, but we just are, are so far behind in our writing that I just like, I, I couldn't. There are some, there are some big twists kind of towards the second half of the series, which again was my, I love, I love those moments when like, you know, you think, you think a show is one thing and then whoosh. I mean, it's more of a thing that works in film, but yeah, there are some big, big twists in the second half of the series. I can't which wait. Take you in a direction, hopefully, that you had no idea it was going. Um, and now I'm definitely saying too much. But... <laughs> well, let's take it back to to childhood. What what was your introduction to horror? Do you remember? Yeah, I when I think back, there were, I think it was the Sixth Sense. Okay, first, I suppose horror light, maybe in a way, but also it's pretty. Oh, I think it's a horror film. That's scary. That's definitely a horror movie. Those ghosts, like all the ghost sequences are horrific. 
really horrific. I think that was one of the first things I, I, I vividly remember. So I looked exactly like the kid. Um, oh, really? He must have been roughly the same age as well. And I, I was like the spitting image of him. You couldn't. No way. Yeah, and I think that enhanced the the terror. Um, I remember we went on a vacation once to somewhere random, like I think it was somewhere in the Lake District, like in the middle of nowhere in England. And we were on this boat, and there was a huge group of Italian tourists on there, and they were all like, um, it was like a school group, and they went crazy because they thought I was. I, I think it wasn't that long after the film had come out. They thought I was him. Oh no! But obviously there was like a language barrier. I didn't really right. know what they wanted from me. And they were taking pictures, and they were so I looked just like him. So that film is like watching like a, a biopic that I never knew existed. I guess. You're in someone's uh, vacation right? photo album that they met Haley Haley Joel Osment, <laughs> and you're like you're there's pictures of you in someone's family photo album. Stories yeah, are told about you to this day. <laughs> that happened. That happened once before. Um, I must just look like a lot of different people. I was in a nightclub in London and some American tourists were convinced, convinced that I was Neville Longbottom. So when you said that, when you said that, I was like, I wonder if, it, I wonder if he's going to say Neville Longbottom. <laughs> I really did. It was Neville. And I, I hadn't like really checked in with Neville for a long time. So I just didn't really thought like Neville in the first film. I was like, oh, I don't know what <laughs> Um, I went with it and they were taking photographs and then more of their friends came over and they were all, and I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall when they got home and looked at the pictures and were just completely disappointed. That's hilarious. But The Sixth Sense was one of the first, yeah, for sure. I remember like, oh, I couldn't sleep for a long time. I think I caught it on TV. It's the scene with the girl in the tent. That scene I is... Gonna, I was going to choose The Sixth Sense as my film, but I saw somebody had done it and some yeah. detail. Um, but the film, yeah, the, 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 the moment... Or she like vomits or something. She does the oh, she the, might, the, the camera is so good on that where it's like watching mm. as the ten unfolds and then it comes down and she's sitting there yes. and then she just vomits. The heads are like pop 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 mm-hmm. and then like, yeah all over. Yeah, and the lights like he's got a torch or something and it's on his face and it's really bright and he yeah. And there's another bit where like there's a there's like a woman in a dressing gown and she's holding pills or something. It's funny the things you remember that aren't actually what happened in the film. She probably. I seem to remember she was holding pills and she was... She No, she slit her wrists. She had caught ah, her wrists. And she like, look what you made me do in the kitchen. Because that, that part, it. I think, because mm. that part got me as a kid. Because she turns oh. around in the kitchen. And I remember I watched it on TV as a kid and her wrist, there's nothing on her wrist. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And it was the edited version. So they didn't oh. show you. So it didn't make sense. But yeah, I think, I think that's what that... It's fucked up, whatever is happening in that part. Yeah. It is very, yes. That's so funny that they edited the wrists out, like the scars. That's bad. The things they do on American television. It's very edit, weird. It's, but it's yeah. wild. That's so strange. Um, but yeah, that film was definitely, uh, my dad also looked a bit like Bruce Willis as well. I'm not making that up. Oh, like shit. oh my God. You and your dad walking around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was, a, that was one. There was also a TV series that no one seemed to remember. It was called The Spooks of bottle bay and it was like a kids series a puppet thing um very similar to do you remember channel zero um mm-hmm. yeah or candle cove i get confused because there's cabot cove the fir- oh yeah the first with the tooth with the toothy yeah. boy and the weird channel yeah. yeah yeah and it's like there's a puppet kid show that no one else seems to remember except that's what it is like with this show but it's on oh, youtube wow. this real thing and it was this kid show with these, and it was about ghosts and stuff and it was so it was like a fever dream. It was terrifying. 
Um, but no one seems to have ever seen it. I've never even um, heard of this. I'm I'm pulling it I up right never. now. I like my mom just used to stick the the VHS on him, and I'm like, it just explains so much. Like, where the hell did you find this tape? <laughs> In like some basement. Um, yeah. So that was a big one. Wow. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Since we're on talking about things that scared you as a kid, let's talk about your pick. Uh-huh. Right? What movie did you pick for your Scarred for Life pick for us to talk about today? I picked Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film. Hell yes. So for those of you, yes, this is the 1992 film, everybody, not the show. And in the film, flighty teenage girl Buffy Summers learns that she is her generation's destined battler of vampires, aka a slayer. Flighty, I love that. Flighty. <laughs> that's 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 like, courtesy of IMDb. <laughs> like not non-committal Buffy. That's funny. Yeah. Um, there's one specific scene in that film that I remember as a kid, late night TV. Um, and like looking back now, I'm like, it's not actually remotely scary, but there's something about that film. In general, the tone is so off and strange. Mm-hmm. There's something about that I think really got under my skin. It just kind of like, it's just a fucking weird film, really. <laughs> it really is. It is It is totally very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but so how old were you when you saw this? Um, how did you see it? Uh, so you mentioned kind of a, a scene that looking back isn't that scary, but what was that scene? Give us give us kind of your horror story. So the scene is um, it's uh, David Arquette at the window, hovering okay. at the window. It's just been turned into a vampire like a couple of hours ago and has quickly gone to Luke Perry's apartment. Um, Luke Perry looks magnificent in this film as well. Yes, he sure does. does. Oh, it's a lot. He apparently he had like a <laughs> three picture deal i love shit like that like i didn't realize that was still a thing in the 90s we hit a three picture deal with whoever the studio was and he was trying to diversify and do something kind of like funny and Mm -hmm. step out and this was what he picked to do because he kind of liked that his character was the damsel in distress which good for him i think that's like it might not have panned out as a choice but i think he's great in the film anyway he's in he's in he's in bed and then like, there's a tap at the window and David Arquette's kind of hovering there. And he makes a scary vampire. He's got a really fucked up kind of like, hmm. He's, he's a great vampire. And does he have... I was surprised how good of a vampire he was. Teeth? Yeah. Big teeth. Like gold fangs? Isn't that... Because isn't... Yeah. I, I kept like, I didn't notice it till the very end. I was like, wait, does he have gold fangs? I love that little design choice. And he's like, come outside or I'm really hungry. And there's just something about that scene. I don't know what it was. I just remember as a child, I think I was really young. I must have been like, 12 
just having this fear that someone was going to appear at my window in the same way and looking back now the scene doesn't really have the same teeth but um but it's interesting though because that scene is is kind of an homage to salem's lot have you ever seen salem's lot the yes, yeah yeah, yeah. With yeah. the little kid floating outside the window and he's like, let yeah. me in, rapping on the window, which is a scene that has terrified a generation of people back then. So I love that that this homage also kind of affected you as a kid. Mm. Yeah, probably not done as well as Titan's lot either, really. But it's fun. It's funny. I think David Arquette is great in this, too. He's really good in it. It makes you really like he there are a couple of actors. And I mean, the cast in this film is insane. <laughs> Like when Ben Affleck like pops up for like a line, random second, right? I was like, wow. Apparently, he said he said he um it was one of his first gigs, I think, and he was really excited because he had a lot more, but he was basically cut from the from the film. He didn't know that he kind of went to watch it, and yeah, no, poor guy. Yeah. Hillary Swank yeah. is in it as like a one of the Valley Girl gang, which I love. Get out of my facial. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. They're just, it's weird, like, it should, like, some of the jokes just kind of, like, fall off a cliff, don't they? It's really strange, but then... Especially the language, because like they're it's so funny because it's it's very obviously Valley Girl, and mm. I feel like we don't really make fun of that. Like Valley Girls, I feel like aren't really a thing anymore in popular culture. Like we don't have the like Terry and I are talking about this. Like it's got Clueless vibes, but this was before Clueless, and it's got the very much like as if or like mm-hmm. yeah, like get out of my facial yeah. or what's the sitch, yeah. and I'm like. Did people actually talk like this? <laughs> or does Joss Whedon just like make up like the vernacular of what teenage girls sounded know. like in Los Angeles? Yeah, did he kind of did he create a lot of that through this this yeah false idea of what what did they call it? They're like mole dolls, right? That's what like mole like mole dolls. Mm-hmm. Were they a thing? I don't know. I have no idea. I I grew up in the center of the country, so of the United States. So like I none of this if I when I was a kid watching this this all felt alien to me because I this definitely was not how it was in Nebraska in the middle of the country. It's just such a strange. There's like a there's like a feel. I remember as a kid just feeling there was this sickly. Now when I watch it, I'm like this is ridiculous. But I think a lot of the scenes with um this film has one of the best death scenes ever. I think in it yes. Paul Rubens death. He's it's so good. <laughs> that was Paul. And I, I knew Paul Rubens was in this, but I was like, wait, is that Paul Rubens? Like, I'm so used to him playing such ridiculous characters. And like, obviously his character is like a ridiculous vampire, but it was much more like serious. And I feel like mm. I've seen him play in a lot of things, which is saying something for this character. Yeah. So it was like He's weird so seeing him like that. It was a weird choice as well, because I think he had just had that scandal. You know, with these, <laughs> yes. the, the incident. He's had a number of incidents, um, unfortunately, because there was this before. And then um, when I was looking him up for for prep of this uh, in the 2000s, he was arrested for child pornography. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah, because he apparently is a big collector of like um, antique erotic art. And apparently he had like he bought a big bulk of it. And some of the stuff in there were studies of new teens from like. Mm. A mm-hmm. long time ago. And so he got put on a registry for three years. And it's like, you're seeing this and it's like, holy shit. And then also that, like Christy Swanson, she is like a pro-Trumper. She yeah. was in a film called Obamagate in which <laughs> they're like, it's it's just, I'm like, what is going on with this movie? Because you have them. And then, of course, 
Joss Whedon, who was really yeah, huge in the nineties. And then now it's like starting things are starting to come out about his behavior on sets. And it's like, wow, three different kind of problematic public figures in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like all that just happened. And Paul kind of clearly thought, what's the best film I could do now to clear up my image? <laughs> uh, I can't be horror comedy called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> in which I'm playing a, a fey and effeminate vampire. <laughs> right. It was he's apparently really written for a movie. woman. No, he's he's fantastic in this. I he is. I and you mentioned his death scene. I love his death scene and how protracted it is, and that it continues into the credits. Like I just, it's so good. And I remember they used that in the trailer, one of the trailers I saw. And so when when I, um, when I so I saw the trailers for this when I was a kid, uh, TV spots or whatever, and they had the ooh. Ah, (laughs) like that moment in there and i was like i really want to see this my dad rented it because my dad is a huge vampire fan and i remember sitting down to watch it with him and we got maybe 15 minutes in and he said this is stupid and turned it off and so i was like i wanted to watch it because i'm this little queer closeted boy and i'm like there's something about this that is like speaking to me and so i remember sneaking the tape after they'd gone to bed and watching it in my room and just loving this movie I think, it, like, on the camp scale, it's definitely, like, it's up there, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's that probably was a part of it for me as well. Like, I was attracted to that without even realizing, like, it's, a, it's kind of magnetically camp in every possible way. Yeah. Imaginable. Um, <laughs> like, every possible way. Yeah, that probably was a part of it, I think. It's really colorful as well, and it's kind of... But that tonal, like, it's so off-kilter. I don't think it's a deliberate thing. I think it's just a little bit all over the place, but that adds to the strangeness to me, I think. Well, and I think, cause I was looking into, into it and I mean, Joss has had like, I don't know, sometimes when he talks about product projects that, that either the public isn't very fond of, or that maybe he wasn't too fond of, he, he gets, a, gets a little uh, arrogant, but oh, like, yeah. I, I do think that some of the disconnect here might be, he wrote it one way and then I think the director directed it a different way and added a little bit of layers of camp to it because he left oh. the production midway through because he was angry with what the what they were doing with it. And so he's like, I want to be more involved. And um, I thought there's a quote when he talked to IGN a few years ago where he says, I thought they were fucking up and I thought they should have filmed some of the things that I wrote. I thought they should have let me into the process. And so he left the, the, the production of it and being involved with it. And so I'm wondering if that kind of, tonal disconnect might be because some of the things that he had in there he was like talking about how he referenced michelangelo's pieta and like he was very it was very self-serious and i don't think uh the production necessarily took that route and made it a little bit more campy and so i'm wondering if that might be kind of that weird tonal disconnect that we're seeing where it's like maybe the source material was a bit more serious Mm. and then they decided to add that layer of humor to it is that why they did the series is that why he ended up doing this the show because i feel like the show is so like i i will say this i've not watched a lot of buffy i'm not a big show per, the show person i'm sorry everybody i should watch the show but i haven't, I haven't but either. just like i know I, and i knew that these were very different obviously oh, oh. but like so incredibly different like yeah. especially with who buffy is as a character it's just very yeah. interesting about like how this movie became that show and mm-hmm. so hearing that about joss whedon that like i wonder if he like wanted to make the show the way he wanted to i remember him I saying know. something about um 
Donald Sutherland as well. Who yeah. again? Donald Sutherland in this film is in a different film to everyone else. He I'm really is. Exactly. <laughs> and I love it so much. I don't know what they were going for. But apparently Donald Sutherland didn't, and all of his lines, he didn't say a single line that was written. He kind of rewrote the whole thing. Um, so that probably is slightly why it feels like he's in a different world. Um, but also he probably, I wonder, you know, this film, like, now we know what we know about Joss Whedon and how he's kind of a difficult customer and maybe doesn't play well with others. Like, was that happening right at the start? And is that, you know, was that a contributing factor to, I can't imagine he would have loved a, that a woman was directing his film. I don't know. I could be wrong, but now what we know, it makes you wonder what was actually going on. We've always kind of just, because the film did okay as well. It like, it's thought of as a flop, but it did fine. Like, yeah, I, I I thought that too, because I, I remember reading that it was a, a, a flop and it, it, it did really poorly, but it didn't seem like it did that terribly. Critics were okay with it i think and like it wasn't this big disaster that people think of it as um it just wasn't what he he wanted i remember and i know he, said, he, oh. he originally wanted to direct it he had written this as like a, a directing vehicle for him and then when it became it went from like this indie very small budget film to getting luke perry and getting a big budget a little bit bigger of a budget i should say attached to it um they went to looking for a different director. So I, I do think there's a little bit of animosity there. And I, I hadn't known this about him until uh, his reaction to alien resurrection, a script that he had also written where he said, that movie is, the movie's a hot mess, but it's a hot mess, but it's so good. (laughs) But I remember, I remember seeing a quote of him in the, in the future where he was looking back on the film and he said, the problem wasn't the script. The problem was that they, the way they filmed the script or the way they, the actors did this, like he was really trying to like, again, hoist off the blame from, from his script into it was other people's fault. My thing was great. It was their interpretation of it. That was, that made it all terrible. And so I just, I see this and I'm like, and I, I had saw that. And then when I went to go do research for this and I see that again, I was like, Ooh, maybe he does not play well with others. Or like he somehow kind of, I don't know if it was his, it's one of his first gigs, like, it's okay that it's not great. Yeah. That's fine. We, you know, like, you've grown. You're allowed to make, like, not great art all the time. Like, mm. I feel like everyone, yes. it's just a thing that you're allowed to do. Also, Alien Resurrection script is ridiculous. And that's okay. I love that movie because it is so ridiculous. Do you think, do you think in Buffy he wrote the cheerleading chants? If so, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> he really doesn't. Loosey Goosey is... is that... <laughs> How funky is your chicken? How loose is your, is your goose? Oh, like, thank you. Yes. Well, and also just watching <laughs> this, I have a lot of feelings about the female characters, which I, I, between Joss Whedon as a person and just watching this, because all Terry and I were talking about this. It's like the female characters are all dits, like ditzy. They're all just like stupid. And they're talking about like, like, you know, climate change slash global warming in language that is very 1992 but she's like bugs are ruining the planet and it's just and it's all very vapid and i and i know that the guys are also vapid and everyone in this movie is kind of just like a goofball but it's just very interesting to have like all of these kind of dumb female characters then you have her who becomes like despite her being a dumb woman like is able to become the slayer and i guess there's just something about it that kind of like doesn't super sit well with me i know it is the 90s early 90s and i'm watching this for the first time in 2023 but i'm like 
ooh, something's weird here. Like, yeah, ooh, it does like, not sit well. The configuration was off, and then it kind of it worked in the TV series, like incredibly so. Um, were you yeah. a fan? Were you a fan of the TV series? Have you seen? Yeah, yeah, that was another big formative thing. I remember very clearly, like sneaking and watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and just that literally had me in a chokehold. Because I, I know for um, a lot of um, women and also a lot of queer people, the the kind of themes of outsiderness and of like uh, a little bit of I, I I've never seen it, so I, I don't really have any attachment to it. Um, but I know a lot of queer people. It was a formative experience for them. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. I think there's um again it's not remotely there in the film. I think the mum in the film she does have a few good lines. She has like three lines, and then do you remember she's like heading out and leaving Buffy at home, and she like she says what does she say? She says Erica says or something like that rather than like kissing her daughter. Erica says and leaves. Um, I think that's one one thing that is amazing in the film is the relationship between Buffy and her mum, and I think. It's almost when you watch back now, I didn't really necessarily pick up on it on the, at the time. But in the TV show, mum is so, Joyce is so unaccepting of Buffy's lifestyle choice. Oh, um, really? Yeah, she's very like, to be honest, it's it's very overt, actually, the metaphor. But I don't know, I didn't pick up on it as a kid, but it's completely like, you know, she wants her to to, to just ignore her calling and... and be normal. Yeah, be normal and why can't you, you know, the girls? Yeah, and just kind of, um, yeah, and Buffy's like, you know, she has to be herself, she has to follow her calling, and, and her mum is just very, very like uh, ashamed. And it takes a long time for Joyce, the mum, to kind of come to terms with what, who Buffy is. Mm. Oh, so, interesting. Mm, so that's in there. Um, I think there was, there was one gay guy in the writer's room, I think, and, um, to be fair, I, I remember him saying that Joss was very aware of that, what was going on in terms of the kind of queer subtext and really pushed for it. And actually this writer, I can't remember his name. Um, oh, what was it? There's a, he said something brilliant. I said, that makes so much sense. I can't remember what it was now. But it was, um, Joss was very aware of the queer subtext and he very much like pushed for that wherever possible, um, which is amazing, really. You wouldn't have thought that. No, I, I think that I yeah. think that's what makes him such a complicated person because there's this real life situation with like the things that are coming out about what he said on the sets of Buffy or on the set of the Justice League, I believe it was. And so there's mm. that. But then there's also like this. I mean, I guess in a way, it's sort of like how people view um, uh, J.K. Rowling now. Right. Where it's like there's something made something that is very big for people and then there's the public persona that is maybe not as, as great, but I, I think it, I do think that there's something about the, the queer subtext within Buffy and some of the things that he went on to do later that is for, for a lonely queer teen, maybe closeted, especially in the nineties dealing with that. I think that there's something really powerful about, about that show, even though there are a lot of issues. Yeah. I just, the kind of the found family thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right. Like I'm pretty sure, at one point Buffy's mom throws her out of the house. She's like, "Oh wow!" Buffy kind of comes out as a slayer, and her mom's like, "No!" and throws her out. And so she kind of really relies on the friends that she's made, who love her for who she is. So, damn it, that's really powerful. It really is. 
It's just then, unfortunately, when you get further into the show, you have the it's quite notorious the the big bury your gaze moment with uh, oh Hulk, yeah, although and mm. you kind of think ah. Oh, on the one hand, I I I know how difficult it was for them to even have two queer characters on a primetime show like that at that time. I remember um, Alison Hannigan's talked a lot about how like you know there were scenes where Angel and Buffy were like open mouth kissing, dry humping on a gravestone, and she couldn't even really hold Tara's hand or peck her on the cheek in the right way, and it was very kind of like. Uh, mad so like he kind of think oh good for them for trying and they got it wrong i think but like attempts were made and i kind of appreciate that you you mentioned the mother though in in the movie and my one of my favorite scenes there are a couple scenes in here that really made me cackle and my one of my favorite is when buffy comes home late and her mom is like what time is it and you you think it's going to be like the mom like do you know what time it is young lady and she's like it's like 10 she's like oh we're late my clock isn't working like it's just it's so funny because it's like such a reversal of expectations of the the mom role being sort of like where have you been young lady type of thing and i just that move moment made me cackle but then the other one is the moment that scared you as a kid i love that that uh luke perry's character pike his reaction to benny floating outside his room is like go home benny and he's like i'm hungry and he's like you're floating come on man (laughs) it's such a funny line because again any any real world reaction to this if you see your best friend floating outside your room with like fangs i'm like what the fuck but his reaction is like go home it's almost like go home you're drunk yeah yeah literally he's like that's so true i wonder if that made it scarier for me when i was a kid as well that it wasn't sort of a melodramatic response it was like a strange mm. off-kilter response to i don't know my favorite line is when the the head vampire goes i want to go to a dance and instead of just killing everyone immediately he's like let's just wait till tomorrow i want to go dancing and i was like i love a vampire with his priorities straight i love a (laughs) he's i again very very camp and gay to me about being like i want to go to a dance like (laughs) i'll save my murder to have like a big set piece at a teenage dance and i just think that that is incredible yeah and it's just this movie is ridiculous and i am very glad i saw it and i was watching it my husband was like i really want to watch that i'm like really he's like yeah i've heard it's kind of fun i'm like it is pretty fun it's stupid but like it's really fun and silly and i kind of love donald sutherland being in a very serious vampire movie while christy swanson is very much not in that movie and it is just very good I would watch yeah. much a bunch more movies with the two of them together. I will yeah. say I love them. <laughs> yeah. She's really good in it, isn't she? It's a shame that she's like, yeah, gone down the path, she's gone down. But she's um, yeah. She's some great lines, man. I wanna graduate high school, move to Paris, marry Christian Slater, and die. <laughs> <laughs> like iconic, iconic bucket list. I really respect a woman who knows what she wants. Yeah. She's really great with Luke Perry. They do have really good chemistry. They really do. They do. Uh, they do. I mean, the only character that oh. doesn't really carry over to the film, uh, to the TV series. Mm-mm. Well, there is a Spike, and his character in the film is Pike. That, that's true. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe just likes Ikes. I don't know. He, um, <laughs> is that. Uh, there's no Willow either. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the um, there's just I think it's sort of like in, there are moments where it's like kind of gross out comedy, but it doesn't quite land, and then it's kind of kind of serious, and then you have like a flashback to like medieval Europe with really bad sets, <laughs> so bad, so bad, like porn, porn bad. It was like, mm-hmm. and it just unsettles. It does. Like what? Um, 
Rutger Hauer kind of just like camping around. What a great vampire he is. Oh, that was Rutger Hauer. I was like, I know who this is. I, I saw it in the in the credits and like just didn't connect the dots because it's so funny seeing Rutger Hauer again as a campy vampire. Like we're so used to seeing him in serious roles and he's just yeah. like in terrible makeup on per- <laughs> in that out. Like he looks like he looks like a, like a like a spirit Halloween Dracula and I love just, it. <laughs> he keeps popping up. I'm not as um clued up on my sort of vampiric history but i don't know if dracula played the violin but every time rutger howard is in this film he's just casually playing a violin for no apparent <laughs> whatsoever well it's just <laughs> i think it's just a great character moment i because I'm, I'm i'm a huge fan of vampires i've seen a lot of the vampire movies i don't remember ever seeing like a vampire with a violin but it just feels it feels right <laughs> right you're like of course he's got a violin why wouldn't he why he's wouldn't cultured. He? he's cultured artsy he's or something artsy he he wears a cravat of course he'd have a violin on hand <laughs> Of course. Mm, yeah. It's like the one of the moments that sticks out to me again, it's like, what the fuck is this film? Is when the uh, the, the the at the end of the film when like, there are all the dead vampires and dead students all over the floor of the, the gym, and the head teacher, the principal, is like giving everyone detention. Detention slips. <laughs> Hilary Swangley, like, oh my god, she's she's saying something about, oh, don't let Buffy back in. She's kind of turned on her. She was her friend, but she's like, no, no, no being really annoying. And he just like throws her into the wall. <laughs> knocks around like it just doesn't work but it you can't look away right <laughs> exactly it's like this is makes no sense but i love it it's just it i think it feels like it knows it doesn't make sense it's just kind of weird and i loved it i'd love to know which day like what point joss walked off set like what scene was that <laughs> I do, I do wonder as well, because like, so Mary Beth, you mentioned the line about wanting graduating high school, yada, 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 right? And wanting to marry Christian Slater and the dying. I guess the original line in the script was wanting to marry Charlie Sheen. And I'm like, okay, that feels a little bit more out of touch with like teens than like Christian Slater, who was doing Heathers. And there's like all of that, like, you know, he was a a big commodity coming into the 90s. And so there was that change. And then the other change I know for sure that was added by uh, the director was the final dance between um, Pike and Buffy, where he says, I saved you a dance. She's like, are you going to ask me? And he's like, I suppose you want to leave. And she says, no. And he says, me neither. That was all not originally in the script and i think it's such a interesting way to end it because it's like they're both like seeing each other as equals and it's like do you want to lead now we're not none of us are going to lead we're just going to ha- share this moment and it's such a I, I don't know it's such a fitting ending to this movie that i i'm curious how it would have ended with with joss's mm. original script yeah i'm like i'm hesitant to st- i don't think there's such a thing as a bad movie mm, more or less right so i'm hesitant to say this is bad it's like I would say there's a really good film in there mm. and it doesn't quite emerge. It's very uh, neutral of me, but um, it's fun. It is. Yeah. And without it, we wouldn't have got the 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 masterpiece that is the TV series. So Yeah, it's true. I mean, that cultural zeitgeist of that is because of this movie, honestly. And to Joss, maybe the failing of this movie is the reason that we have that. And I think that's interesting before we do wrap up though, the, some of the dialogues, some of the lines in here are really great. And I know this is <laughs> going to tie into uh, our rating, but 
the line when the very beginning when we have like all of these characters going going about and, and living their life and there's news reports and they're talking about people being murdered and whatnot and one of the news reporters <laughs> says that what's happening what what's these dead bodies have what looks like a really gross hickey on them and it's such <laughs> a that line just the, the fact there's a news reporter saying this and saying it with a straight face and just basically it looks like there's a lot of really gross hickeys. It just it makes me laugh so hard. Yeah. I think my favorite line is when Merrick, um, I think that's his name, Donald Sutherland's character is like, I've searched, I've searched the world for you, Buffy. Um, I've spent forever trying to find you to give you your birthright. And she's like, my birthright? Is that like a trust fund? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So sweet, but like, I love it. I really do. Oh, it's so good. All right. Well, let's wrap this up and give this a rating out of five. Terry, how many really gross hickeys out of five do you give Buffy the Vampire Slayer? You know, it's it's hard because like I, I didn't I enjoyed watching this. I enjoyed watching it more as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I, I remember that night just like trying to not laugh really loud because my room was right next to my parents and I'm and I'm trying to watch this and I it felt like I wasn't supposed to because my dad just like completely shit on it. And so, like, I remember watching this and just really being taken and I think probably resonating with the kind of otherness aspect of of this movie, because um, I, I do think there is some of that in here as well. Um, so it really resonated with me as a kid. Now, um, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, it kind of feels a little bit of, like Clueless meets Vampires in a way, even though Clueless, again, came out after this movie. So I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's fun. I'm going to give it three gross hickeys for, for me. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm also going to give it three gross, really gross hickeys. I I had a lot of fun watching it. I know it's not a good, a good movie, but I think it is a very good relic of 1992. I had a lot of fun watching it. It's just silly and campy and ridiculous. And I just think it's a good time. <laughs> and then Ryan, you have the final word. How many really gross hickeys out of five do you give Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I'm gonna give purely for legacy and what came after 3.5. Okay. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can yeah. do whatever you want. In a half, yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> What's a half a hickey though? <laughs> it's like half your mouth on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a half-ass hickey, not a full uh-huh. never mind. Anyway, we won't go into that. <laughs> could be something your doctor should look at. It could be a hickey. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us to talk about your your TV show and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Where can the listeners find you? And what do you, the floor is yours. What do you want to plug? What do you have to share that you can talk about? So, so Rec is available right now on Hulu if you're in the US, um, and it's on uh, the BBC uh, in the UK um and yeah please watch it and reach out to me let me know what you think of the show as long as you only have glowing praise um <laughs> uh on, on twitter or instagram uh i'm at brown j ryan my name backwards uh, a lot of thought went into that handle so <laughs> so listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what did you think of it? buffy the vampire slayer the movie you can let us know via email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter i'm at mb mcandrews and i'm a gaily dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarred podcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe and if you want to help support us we do have a patreon thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there most importantly stay creepy and until next time oh, won't somebody please think of the children
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com